You're listening to the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast, your source for news, discussion, and debates about the Vols and Lady Vols basketball programs. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and everywhere else podcasts are found. Hello, everyone, and welcome in to another episode of the Lady Vol Basketball Fever Podcast. I'm Nathaniel Rutherford, joined this time by special guest Cora Hall of Knox News. She covers Tennessee women's athletics for Knox News. Had her on the show before. First time she's doing a video podcast with me, though. So, Cora, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. This is always a good time. Yeah, absolutely. It's been a little bit since we've had you on. Uh, Quite a bit's happened since we last had you on the show here. But really only good news for Tennessee and then Lady Vols because Lady Vols are rolling right now. They are just coming off another nice, impressive SEC victory, this time on the road against Ole Miss, a game where they just like, I guess just like the Texas A&M, really jumped out into a, a more dominant role later on. It wasn't the opening quarter wasn't the most dominant, but the second quarter, third quarter, Layballs really jumped out to a lead by halftime, ran away with it, and were able to kind of cruise. It was a little, I guess, kind of messy down the, the stretch there, but Tennessee still pulled off a 12-point victory. And you also got to give credit to Ole Miss. They're, they're a good team. A solid team, a team that came into that game only uh, 13-1 on the year. So just like Tennessee, only one loss. Um, but that was also a game where I saw different crowd shots from the Ole Miss Arena, Cora, and it seemed, it seemed very close to being a, a Tennessee home game. So before we really get into diving into the game itself, I mean, I, I just want to give props and credit to Lady of All fans because we, we always, you know, I've always talked about with basketball, with football, the all fans get a lot of notoriety especially the men's sports, but I, I want to give a lot of, you know, a lot of credit and a lot of, of praise to Lady of All fans because they, they, to me, are probably the most passionate fan base I've ever seen. They, they care a lot about this program and a lot about this team, and boy, it showed uh, on Sunday when you're, you're in Oxford, and it looks like it's, it's almost a home game in Knoxville with how many, you know, how much orange was in the stands there. I think the other piece of that, too, is there's Lady Vol fans all over the country just because of how long this program has done well and the legacy that was built here. Um, you know, people go to college here and then they move somewhere else, but they stay stay Lady Vol fans. Because I remember talking to Terry Holder at Orange Mountain Designs for that NIL story I wrote, and she was talking about all the different places she ships, you know, merch. So they're everywhere, even if they don't need to travel. Like if that's the one game and you're in Mississippi, you're like, hey, I'm going to go. So it is, it's cool to see. Absolutely. That's a good point. We'll, we'll probably circle back to that NIL piece because that was one of the ones I was going to bring up you had written recently. But to get to back to the uh, actual game here, Lady Vols, again, win 70-58, and that continues just the, a win streak for them. They're now 4-0 in SEC play. And Cora, as of us recording this, we're, we're doing this on a Monday night here. Uh, Lady Vols earlier on Monday were uh, voted into the top five of the AP poll for the first time in seven years. It was the first time since that 2015-2016 season, earlier on that year, that the Lady Vols have been into the top five of the AP poll. And I think that it's it's very important. You know, it's it's one thing when you look back at Lady Vols or top five, you know, back in the back in the day, like we, you know, they were always consistently top five. This has been something they haven't done in a while. And I think to me, before we kind of talk about some of the players and the play of the team, I, I don't think it can be understated overstated, I guess, whatever, whatever term, whatever the right word is there, how, how important it is to like to see that number next to the lay of all name and to see them get back to, to me, what I, what I said on Twitter on Monday, 
back into the company that they're supposed to be in, like where, where they belong, where, where the Lady of All brand is supposed to be. I, I think it, it, it can't be stated enough how important it is to see that and to be recognized as, hey, they're back where they belong. You know, how long do they stay there? We'll see. I, I think they can stay there for a lot longer, you know, very long time this season because I think they're just a really good team this year. But I, I don't think it can be said enough, like how big of a deal it is that this is finally the case. It's been the first time in too long that this program has been out, out of that kind of upper echelon, that elite category in women's basketball. Yeah, I think it's also nice for uh, Kelly to get kind of that recognition mm-hmm. of what she's been building here because, I mean, this doesn't happen overnight. Obviously, it took three seasons for this to, to happen and recruiting and, you know, new assistant coaches and all this. But, you know, from what I've heard and everyone I've talked to, you know, it's very intentional. Like she is building something. And she's had so much experience as a head coach and building programs that she was ready for it. And I think that's the other important piece is like right place, right time for Kelly. That's a very good point. That's a very good point. It's a, it's a lot about the recognition for her too, because this is her third year. And a lot of people had questions, you know, Hey, she obviously has laid off pedigree background. She played for Pat summit, you know, so did Holly Warlick. And, you know, that didn't go the way that people hoped it would, but Kelly Harper had head coaching experience before, but, you know, kind of up and down a little bit. She, she did, I think had a lot of success. I thought she was a good fit and I thought she could have success, but you never know. There, there's a lot of times you look on paper and a head coach seems like it's, they're going to be a great fit at a school. Uh, and they don't end up being a great fit at a school. So I, I thought on paper, she, she made a lot of sense. And I'm, I'm very glad to see that it's being, you know, she's getting justification. As you said, she's getting recognition. She's already been in a lot of talk about, coach of the year candidates and stuff. And I, I think that she is very, very deserving of that. Um, but to go to after court and to talk about some of these players and talk about some of the play of the Lady Vols, Cora, it, it's nice to see Ray Burrell back. And I think, you know, she's still, you can tell is knocking off the rust. She's still not really put up a whole lot of points in any game. She's been back. But I think we've seen the offense take a step forward. And I think you said this during the game, um, during old, the Ole Miss game actually on Sunday, that even she's out there, even if she's not scoring, she's opening up opportunities for other players. The three games that she's been back for the Lady Vols, and granted, it's not been the most efficient of offensive outputs in those games, but all three games that she's really been back and has played, uh, you know, minutes in, the Lady Vols have eclipsed seventy points. They, they, you know, they scored seventy against Arkansas, they scored seventy three against A and M, and they scored seventy against Ole Miss. Again, that's not like a, a super high total, but it's more than what the Lady Vols had done in a, in a lot of high major contests. Uh, before Ray Braille came back. So you know, feel free to, to expound upon it. But I, I think it, you know this this return for Ray Braille, she's really only starting to kind of scratch the surface of of what she's going to be able to do. And that I think if you're an opponent for Lady Vols, that's a scare you because they already look like a, a pretty different team these last three games on offense with her out there. Now, if she starts getting her shot back and, and starts feeling more in rhythm and more, you know, getting in the groove back, that's dangerous. That, that, that to me, this team, the team, this team's ceiling is is still not been reached yet. Yeah. And like, I want to preface what I say by, I, re- I recognize that Ray Burrell is a WNBA future prospect and she is an incredible player, but I don't want uh, the team without her to not get their credit for learning to change their basically entire offense mm-hmm. on the fly and not lose except to Stanford. I mean, that's so impressive to me. They, they really figured it out. Um, and it was cool to watch, you know, they, they adapted, they made Tamari Key their central piece of their offense, and that has been incredibly valuable to them. Um, but Ray coming back is a huge plus for that because I said this in my uh, my AP poll, 
column, I was like, Tennessee worked its way into a top 10 team. And now they're adding back their WNBA draft pick. That's, that's, that's a big, that's a big deal. Um, so, you know, for, for the other teammates, I think they deserve a lot of credit for that, but Ray does stretch the floor because she can shoot, like she can just spot up and shoot and, and she doesn't need to necessarily be, um, attacking the paint every time yet, but she, her presence on the floor is another offensive threat and she, her playing adds more depth. Like that is such an important part for this because now you've got, um, she's coming off the bench right now. So she, she's depth. And when she's eventually probably starts again, then you're going to have, um, Testar be coming off the bench, Sarah Puckett, Brooklyn Miles, Kean Green. That is a deep bench. And so I think that's the other piece that's so important that they fought through is not having that depth really, because you're, you're trying to get your freshman up to speed. Um, and now they have an insane amount of depth in my opinion. Yeah. You make a good point that, you know, obviously her, her teammates clearly deserve a lot of attention and a lot of credit, like you said, but that, that, that's a really important part going into when you get to February and March, like they've already learned the lessons early this year of how to play when your star player either isn't playing or is having an off night. So you, if you get to some key pivotal games in March and, and whatnot, whether it's SEC tournament or NCAA tournament and Jordan Horston's shot isn't falling or Tamari's shot isn't falling or, or Ray's shot's not falling, this team already knows, hey, we can win games without having to rely on this player. You, you, you see a lot of times superstar teams to have one or two superstars if one of those or both those players, their shots aren't falling or they're not playing up to expectation, the team struggles because they've, they've come to rely on that player. Th- this team, you guessed Jordan Horston, I think has stepped up huge, but she also had games where she wasn't, you know, top of the top of the, her game where her shots were all falling and they've all still found ways to win because mostly because of that defense. I mean, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more kind of about Tamari Key specifically in a second, but man, Cora, this this defense is just, it's suffocating, man. I, I have yet to see an offense this year. Maybe Stanford. That's the only one I can really think of that kind of, you know, found something against Tennessee this year. But this lady of all defenses, like it, it, I was watching the, the Ole Miss game on Sunday and they said it was, um, you know, it, it goes back to vintage Tennessee, vintage Pat Summit of defense and rebounding wins games. And you know, her, her old quote that offense, offense sells tickets, but defense wins championships. And I think this team, this team is built a lot more, similarly to the old Pat Summit teams than a team that I can remember in the past, you know, five, six, seven years. And I, I think that's, that's, that's where they, they've built the foundation and they've built their backbone on this defense and anything they get from offense is kind of a plus, but this defense, I, I, I don't know how you can score over 70 against this, this defense. Cause it is relentless. And it's not just like three or four players. It's like the entire team. And I think you. I think you may have said it already too. Ray Burrell, all her offense, but she's also a really good defender. I mean, you're not just getting a good offensive piece back with her. You're getting a good, another good defender back with her too. So this defense, to me, can really carry this team. Yeah, and you know, they have the number one field goal percentage defense in the country, and you know that's partially due to the fact that with their defense, they're forcing teams to take contested shots and they don't give them a lot of open looks, you know? So that's part of it. But also I I have seen a few teams shoot really, really badly against Tennessee, Mm -hmm. like the Alabama game. I, I saw so many like rim in and out. And I was like, this is like maybe the most comical miss I've seen, like just over and over and over. And I was like, when is one going to roll in for them? But their defense does deserve a lot of credit to their uh, opponent's field goal percentage. Um, 
but yeah, that part about Ray Burrell's defense, I mean, they, <laughs> I just remember watching Shakira Austin, like dribble, like, I don't know, almost out to the wing and then try to step back and, and pull up and both Tamari and Ray were like closing down on her. So I'm like, that's not what anyone wants to be doing. And uh, Ray has great length and height. So with her and Jordan Horson being that tall and having that wingspan, them on defense guarding other smaller SEC guards is just going to be a nightmare. Um, and, and South Florida's coach said this earlier about Jordan Horson, um, just her length makes her an awful matchup for so many teams because she's a guard, she's a point guard, and she's matching up with players who are like Jordan Walker size, you're 5'8", 5'10". So it's like any time she's going to have an advantage. It's impressive to me every time I watch, you know, Jordan Horston go out there because she'll go just go fight for rebound. I'm like, my goodness, she has such long arms and can jump really well. Like she looks like a forward out there when she goes and, and fights for rebounds. Like it's it's just this team is just they're so athletically gifted and just defensively, like the, the even the young players, like you look at Brooklyn Miles, like she's been known for her defense. You look at even like I said, just some of the other younger players who are role players and how much their defense is already starting to improve. Even the the players who are supposed to be you know, more offensive minded, like Tess Darby, like she's not bad on defense either. Um, I do want to bring her up because I, I thought her, the game against Ole Miss, that was probably her best game so far in terms of, I mean, against the, comp- the, the competition she was going up against and the way she played. 25 minutes, she was three of six from three, four of four from the free throw line, finished with 13 points, four boards, and an assist in that game. No turnovers or anything like that. You know, two steals. I that that to me that's scary. If Tess Darby can get going, if she has you know found her more consistent shot, because she, she's already the the main three point threat for Lady Vols. She has the most made three pointers on the team, but her efficiency has been you know it, it's been hit or miss there. It, it's she's had some really good games. She's had some games you're like okay, she you know miss more shots than she should have her here or there. But if she's really starting to find her rhythm, if she's going to turn into a, a more consistent, dangerous three-point threat, that's that that's scary to me too because she, she was 2 of 5 against A&M, 3 of 6 against Ole Miss. So again, she's been better here in SEC plays. 3 of 8 against Alabama, not too bad. Only took one uh, shot against Ole Miss. Uh, excuse me, those are her overall shooting percentages. Her three... Not too far behind that, though. Two of, two of four from A&M, three of seven against Alabama, and three of six. Okay, so actually even better than I said. Um, but to me, like, she, she's come on more lately. She, you know, was kind of hit or miss there in the non-conference SEC play. She's found more of a rhythm and more of a groove. And I think she, like, this freshman class, I've said it before, it's just really impressive to me. You don't, they're not a, a freshman class you've had to start and you've had to play, like, a bunch of minutes like you've had in years past for the Lady Vols. But Tess Darby demands minutes. Like, she's good enough to keep playing. Uh, same thing with Sarah Puckett. So I think, to me, Tess Darby, if she's found her, her three-point shot, look out. Because that's, again, just like with bringing Ray Barilla in, that's going to open up this offense even more. That, that's that's an area the Lady Vols have really missed. They, they've had the post presence. But if Tamari Key has someone who, if she gets it down the post and doesn't have an option, she can pass it back out to Darby and, and she can hit a three. That 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 to me that that's a dimension the Layballs haven't had uh, in a lot of this season, and if Tess is going to keep be more consistent in SEC play, that's great news for the Layballs. Yeah, Tess has been um, really nice, just because you know she's hitting shots at good times. You know, like her three pointers come at very um, important times in the game, and and you know when teams realize okay she's going to make it probably if you give her an open shot then that stretches the floor. And, you know, Jordan Walker's done the same, I think, um, done really well to hit big threes at certain moments. So, 
you know, just those two getting more offense going is really important because, you know, Jordan Walker's proved, yeah, I'm going to put up 17 points tonight because maybe Jordan Horston or Alexis Dye's shots aren't falling. And she's been so quietly consistent. I think her and Tess both have been mm-hmm. really quietly consistent um, and really important to this team, even if they don't get a lot of the attention. And I think the other thing with Tess is she's got pretty good like positioning on the floor because I just think of there's been a lot of really good assists to her, but she gets herself in a good position. She knows where she wants to shoot. She's going to take the good shot. She's not going to take a shot if it's not on for her. So I think that's also been important because shot selection, when you're a three-point shooter is important. You can't just be throwing up threes all the time. You have to be, you know, in the right spot, the right time. Um, And she does a really good job of that. So I think, you know, her having to start, you know, right after Ray got hurt has been good for her because, Last season, I don't imagine she got a ton of minutes as a freshman. Um, so just her getting more experience in, in game shots and game making threes in games is really important. Well, we, we kind of teased it earlier and said we'd talk a little bit more about Tamari Key specifically because there's a there's a reason to want to. We, you, you mentioned this on Twitter, uh, and I I was kind of taken aback by it. So I'll, I'll kind of let you lead this one, Cora. But Tamari deserves... Um, Let's just say she deserves more national attention than she's getting, which is ridiculous when you look at her stat line, you look at her play because she leads the nation in blocks. She's going to, in my opinion, set the career record for blocks at Tennessee, maybe by the end of this year, because she's already got like 220 something blocks and the the career record is Candace Parker with 275. Uh, and Tamari's already, she got 11 in one game. She got 10 in one game. She now has like the second, third and fourth most blocks in a game in a, in a Tennessee career, like, and she's only, this is her third year. And it's her third year in a, a counting two COVID shortened seasons, basically. So like what she's been able to do in her career is impressive. But what she's doing this year specifically is really impressive. I'll let you kind of handle it because I, I, I was taken aback, but she, she, she's not getting the, the recognition she deserves. She's, she's not on a, a certain watch list that she should be on. Yeah. They released the mid season win award watch list and there's 25 players five centers, uh, and none of them were Tamari Key, which was very interesting to me because if you're going to have five centers on that list, I really, truly believe that Tamari Key belongs on there. Um, I I would assume it's probably because she's not averaging as many points as the other centers. However, you know, the wooden awards list, I looked at the criteria because I was like, is it, is it just because we're offense? But it says, you know, players have to be excellent on offense and defense. And I think she is the most dominant center defensively right now in the country. I mean, we saw her match up directly with Elizabeth Kitley in December and Elizabeth Kitley didn't score any of her four points while Tamari was on the court. So riddle me that is is kind of my question. uh, When we clearly saw one of the centers on the list be just shut out by Tamari. And I don't think she, I don't think people realize how good she is on defense you can like you can have those games where you look at it, like okay she had 11 blocks that's crazy but like even on games when she doesn't have 11 blocks she probably had four or five like uh shots she had to alt that got altered because she's so tall like when they are able to sit her in the paint no one's driving in the lane like they would if she wasn't so she's like eliminating <laughs> offensive opportunities for the team just by standing on the court, let alone the fact that she is so good with her positioning now. She is so aware of her positioning on the court, of where other players are going, where the other players are coming backdoor. 
and she can track so well that even if she's a little bit out of position, she has gotten a lot of blocks when she started a tiny bit out of position, adjusted on her way over, clean block. And that is a huge difference from last year. You know, like, I think someone asked her after the 11 block game, you know, what's been the difference this season or something like that about, and she was like, not fouling. And that's truly, truly it. Because, you know, when I talked with Joy about Tamari's development earlier in the season, Joy was like, that was just an area that needed discipline. And it, <laughs> whatever they did in practice, it's working. Um, so I've been extremely impressed by, I mean, in her, in her offense, she's, I think she was four for four against Texas A&M. You know, she's very, she's, she's gotten those moves. She's pulling them out. She's done so well offensively that it, it she had seven double doubles this season, Thanks one triple double. That was the other thing. I was like, she's the only, she's one of 14, 15 players that have a triple double this season, which is crazy that there's that many, but she's the only center. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. It just didn't make sense to me. I was just like, uh, I don't know. I don't know why she's not on that list. If you have five centers, no offense to the other ones, they're all great, great players, but if you're going to put five centers on that list. I don't think you can really leave Tamari Key off that. No, I, I agree with you because like you said, it's, it's more than just the statistical part of it. Cause it's not just the blocks per game and all that. Cause even, but even that, like statistically, that's impressive. Like that's insane. But like you said, it's, it's the way that she, she causes people to, be afraid to even enter the paint or she alters shots or she, she does things that don't show up in the stat sheet. Cause I, I, I want to go back to that A&M game. I'm glad you brought it up. Cause I was looking at the stats to bring it up here. A&M in that game only had 14 points in the paint. And I, I wonder how many of those 14 came when Tamari wasn't in the game, because I feel like they feel like every single time they tried to do anything in the paint, when she, she played 23 minutes in that game, anytime they tried to do anything in the paint, when she was in there for those 23 minutes, there was nothing like they either got blocked or they had to shoot, pass it back out or the shot was altered. Like I, I bet you the vast majority of those 14 points came when Tamari was not in the game, because I, I don't remember them scoring on her period when they, when they tried to do anything in the paint in that game. So yet yeah, I, and it's, it's crazy too, because it's not like she's having like some kind of, of, you know, paltry offensive year. She's averaging 10.4 points and almost nine rebounds a game. Like, I don't. I, I I am blown away that she's not on the list. And again, that doesn't mean that she won't be on like, you know, by the time we get to the, the year end list where it's a semifinalist or whatever. Like she, I think she'll hopefully hopefully be on there by that time. But I think she's just like her offensive game has taken such a huge step forward this year compared to where she had been the past two seasons. Where you, past two seasons you just kind of threw it in there, and she's bigger and taller, and she put a shot up and it'll go in because she's right there at the rim. This year she's actually developed more of an offensive game, I think, and, and more of a more of a, I guess, just, again, I guess the word developed, a more developed offensive game overall. And like you said, she's not fouling on defense. Her her footwork, she's able to close the gap really quickly. And suddenly she's there, even if she doesn't block your shot. shot she's like you mentioned earlier in this podcast, like her and, and Ray got out there really quickly on somebody on their perimeter. They're like, oh, crap, you know, what am I going to do now? Um, I don't know. Tamari to me is, it's hard to pick like the most impressive person on this team, but she might it's it's her or Jordan Horston like I I, I go back and forth Cora on, on which one I, I think has been most impressive to me this year but it's her or or Jordan Horston just because Horston stepped up big time when the team needed her when Ray went out but I mean both those players have had multiple double doubles uh, Horston's 
flirted. I, I don't remember if she got a triple double. I don't, think, I don't think she did, but she she's flirted with one a couple of times. Tamari has obviously gotten one. Like those two players have been just phenomenal for this team this year. Yeah, I would say if you think about this season and could they get through losing Tamari Key. They got through losing Ray Burrell because they used multiple people to replace her, right? Mm-hmm. Multiple people are making up for that offensive production, that defense. But if you take Tamari Key away from this team, they are not 15-1. and one. Mm-hmm. Absolutely not. She has been the difference for them in situations, in certain games. And obviously she's 6'6". But besides <laughs> that, like, Key and Green's great. But Keen Green isn't 6'6". So you just, you can't replace her. You can't replace what she does for the team defensively, offensively. Like there's so many, there's so many teams that can't match up with her height wise. So that if she sits on the block and has a little bit of space, like someone can just like lob it to her, she'll grab it and just lay it in. So it's like, you can't, you can't replace a player like that. And she, the fact that she is, owning that and scoring and doing everything she's been doing has been huge. You know, it would take a lot of people to replace her. That's a really good point. I I think that's to me a really good like way to determine either MVP or like you said, like who's been most impressive is, is this team where they are or even, you know, close to where they are without this player in the lineup for an extended period of time. And I, I think you're right. I think this team, if they were without Jordan Horston, but they still had Ray Burrell, I think they would be in a very similar spot to where they are now. But if they were without Tamari Key to the same you know time they were out without Ray Burrell, you make a very good point. I don't think defensively they could be able to do what they do. I don't even think offensively they they could be able to do what they've been able to do so far this year because of what she does and, and the way she affects teams' mentality and the way that she affects the way teams attack Tennessee on offense because they've, they've a lot of teams have had to jack up more threes and, and settle for more mid-range jumpers than – you know, than they would like because of the way Tennessee has been able to defend that paint when Tamari's in there. And and like you said, like the foul trouble hasn't been as big of a problem this year for Tamari. And part of that, you said, has been her learning and adjusting to what she needs to do. But also she's gotten a little bit better of a whistle. I think that's part of the thing the past couple of years is that I, I think a lot of Lady Ball fans would agree with me that she hasn't gotten to me the most fair of whistles just because she's so much bigger and, and taller and stronger than a lot of the post players she's going up against. But this year, I think you said, like you said, I think she's gotten smarter and has, has learned from coaching and everything too, like how to move her body and how to not draw, or, you know, get as many fouls as, as would be. Again, I, I think she's going to have games where she's in foul trouble, which is going to happen uh, when you're a post player in any, any, you know, men's women's basketball, you the one, but um, Corey Kent looking ahead here a little bit on the schedule Leavals have you know, a couple ranked opponents coming up. They they play at at uh, Vanderbilt and Nashville on Thursday, but then they also host Kentucky, which is a ranked team uh, in Knoxville on January sixteenth on next Sunday, and then they go on the road against a ranked Georgia team um, next Sunday. So that's I guess kind of week break there between Kentucky and Georgia. But again, we we've talked multiple times about how this schedule doesn't you know doesn't let up for the Lady Vols. They've already faced some pretty tough teams. I think Ole Miss and Arkansas both are are very quality SEC teams this year. And I think AM, though, you know, not as good as they've been in years past, they're still a quality team. They're still a team that I think will will be an NCAA tournament team. It it's not getting much easier for Lay Vols because they they have those two games and they play Auburn, they play Arkansas again, they have Florida, 
and then it's UConn, and then it's a Missouri team that's suddenly, surprisingly, you know, better than I think people were expecting them to be. So, Cora, I, I don't, you know, I don't know. It's going to be tough for the Lady Vols to get to that UConn game without suffering another loss, just because of, of you know, the way it's the SEC. Anybody can, just about anybody can beat about anybody. With Missouri can beat South Carolina, just about anybody else can beat about anybody else. I, I think I would maybe take that bet if I'm not a big betting person, but if I, if I were to put money on it, I, I, I would be tempted to put money on the fact that Lady Vols would not lose another game before UConn, but whew, not going to be easy, that's for sure. Yeah, I don't like to speak these things aloud because I am a like mildly <laughs> superstitious person when it comes to sports, um, and I won't be responsible for that. However, um, I think for them, they want to win championships. They want to win the SEC again. They want to be back at the top, and that requires being on every night, mm-hmm. every day, and that's not easy to do. But Kelly is – I don't know what she does – but she has gotten this team so bought in to everything that she is doing. And I think that that has been such a huge part of their success is just they care about each other. Everyone loves each other so much. And they just they just refuse to lose. They will put everything on the court. And so I think they have a really good chance of that SEC title, especially with Mizzou upsetting South Carolina. But that also shows that like that road game in Georgia is going to be tough. Georgia upset NC State on the road. That is not easy to do. Mm-hmm. That Georgia team is tough. Joni Taylor is a great coach. And so, you know, that should be a game that's <laughs> that, that's going to be one of their harder games. You know, LSU at home to me a great matchup. Um, South Carolina on the road. That's going to be a tough one. I, I have a feeling that's going to be the SEC championship game, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, if we're looking really far ahead. Vanderbilt is a must win for them. If they want if they want to go for that, they got to they got to put this game away. Kentucky is going to be a really big matchup Sunday. Ryan Howard's a great player. She she can change the whole game. Um, and she's probably going to be a number one. I would say if I had to guess, she may never one draft pick over Alyssa Smith. But, you know, also Kira Elsie and um, her associate head coach, uh, mm-hmm. Maya Butts, both were on Kelly Harper's team in 98. Yep. They are all cut from the same cloth. These are great coaches. So, it's not going to be easy, but based on what we've seen, I just, there's a lot of momentum going for them. They are so dialed in and they, you can tell how badly they want it. Cause like, even after the Stanford loss, not shaken, they came in there and they were like, yeah, we lost, but like they already, they knew, they knew what they did wrong. And they were just, they just felt more determined after that. And Kelly said recently, I think it was last week. She said that after that game, they walked a bit away with confidence that they could play with anybody. And I, so I think in a way that loss was a good thing for them, even though obviously you want to, <laughs> you want to win all, win them all, but that was a good loss for them, in my opinion, because it's Stanford, first of all, uh, second right. of all, <laughs> hey, there's a lot to take away from that game. No, absolutely right. And, and I think I was very well said, like I said, that the one loss they have is not, not a bad loss at all. That's not one that's going to, it's not going to detract from your resume when it comes NCAA tournament time that, that that to me we're, we're looking way ahead but that, that I'm excited thinking about like the seeding possibilities for this lady of all team because if they're if they get to a two like I, I again like you said I'm, I'm always a little worry wary about saying these things because I don't want to put that out there and all of a sudden if they don't do it it's on me but, like just think about them getting to like to a, a two seed because I, I don't I don't know if they'll get a one seed but just like even get getting to a two seed would be something I haven't seen the lady of all's 
be in the NCAA tournament in a long time. And that, that would excite me and get me revved up, you know, for, for March Madness for the Lady Vols, because I mean, this team is, I think this team's built for, for postseason. We'll, we'll see, but I think this team is built for, you know, some sort of postseason success. Um, but Corey, I, I know, you know, a lot of Lady Vols fans aren't just fans of Lady Vols. They're big women's basketball fans in general. And I know you just from seeing you on Twitter and stuff, like you, you're a very well-versed, well-educated, uh, basketball fan like you you, you kind of take in a lot of different stuff for college basketball has there been anything in the sec you know outside of evolves that's really stood out to you so far you know we're, we're like what four ish games into the sec season obviously we've also had a d- bunch of different non-conference stuff has, has there been any other kind of non-tennessee stuff that's really stood out to you here as we're about almost midway through january um to state the obvious we are boston um <laughs> yeah great player i mean she has just completely separated herself from the pack the way she is playing i want to say she had she's had nine double doubles in a row and they're like 18 points 19 rebounds type double doubles like she's solidly getting a double double and she just she's a huge game changer her the way she plays is so impressive to me like i i've never seen anything like it um so she is so exciting so fun to watch um kim mulkey has done wonders and, you know, I know there's a lot of kind of some drama after that South Carolina LSU game because of just, you know, things. I'm not going to go into that because that's not really my place. But, um, you know, Kim Mulkey's done a, a lot with this team. They are a SEC, in my opinion, they're a contender for an SEC title. They're a really good team. Um, trying to think other SEC. I mean, obviously the Mizzou game. I think the, the craziest thing to me is they didn't have their they didn't have Blackwell, their number yeah. one player. Right. And she's like leading the SEC in, in points and rebounds, I believe. Well, she was when I last checked. So to have your best player, who is also one of the best players in the SEC, out playing South Carolina with seven or eight players and winning is astounding to me. Like that, I am still upset. I can't watch that replay on my on my ESPN app because I came out of a Lady Vols game went to pressers was not like, I usually don't check other people's Twitter during games cause it stresses me out. So once I was finished my first story, I like looked at my notifications and I went on Twitter and my jaw was like on the ground when I saw the result of that South Carolina Mizzou game. So it's just an exciting, it reminds me of when I was a kid and I watched big 10 basketball. Um, and I was a huge Michigan State fan, still am. Um, but Tom Izzo was like <laughs> a, a hallowed name in my household. But watching them growing up, they were often, you know, top the rankings. But then you get to conference play. And it's like we, Big Ten was so good when I was like growing up. And they still are a solid conference overall. But it was like they could be number one, number two, going to conference play drop a game to an unranked team because that's how good the conference was. And you couldn't even be mad because the conference was so good that it was just anybody's. And that's how the women's SEC feels right now. And it's mm-hmm. so fun. It's so fun. You're absolutely right. No, I, I remember those big 10 days. Cause that was a lot you know, when I was really deep into college basketball, like when I first started really getting into it was, was like you said, I, I remember those times where Tom Izzo would, would jump out and they'd be top five in the country. Then they would, lose to a team you're like what are they doing with the drive like it was it wasn't because it was a bad team it was that was a deep conference back then and big 10 basketball used to be top tier like it was them and acc and and they're still like you said they're not bad at all but it's not what it was back in, in those days but um no you're right the sec through women's basketball this year is is 
crazy. You're looking at, like, I'm looking right now at the, the, the top 25. You have South Carolina at number one. Uh, Lady Vols are number five. You have to scroll down a little bit. But you get to mention Kim Mulkey, LSU, number 12. Like, they have been really impressive to me this year. And that, that of course, Tennessee fan luck, like, LSU's good in both men's and women's basketball. So you don't know that <laughs> Tennessee fans, regardless of, of which basketball team you're rooting for, like you're not going to escape LSU this year. Luckily, Lady Vols only play them once, I think. Men's team has to play them twice. Um, then you get down to Georgia at 17, and then you have Kentucky at 19, and then you have uh, Missouri receiving votes. And again, but that's that's like, the, what, six teams or so I just mentioned there? That doesn't even mention like the teams that are... In the, in the bottom half of the conference, they're still able to get off and pull off upsets against you. Look at, again, Ole Miss is a solid team. Arkansas is a solid team. Like, those teams aren't ranked, aren't receiving votes. Uh, Texas A&M, again, they were a top 25 team. Those are three teams right there. Lady Vols have played that I think can pull off some upsets and can be the teams that you don't want to face. Uh, the Arkansas team um, was, a, was a tough contest for Lady Vols. And A&M, I think, hopefully, for their sake, will get better. Um, they... I don't know that, that I think Lave also just dominant in that game for for you know for one of the re, for one reason, but uh, I, I I you know I hope they can get a little bit better because I'd like for their coach to be able to go out more on a high note than what currently is is you know not having a great run right now. But I mean this conference is so deep, and that's why again that's why I'm very hesitant to say that the Lave Vols won't have another loss before they play um, UConn, but. Lay balls are just playing so well, but it, it does concern me when you you had to play Arkansas again. Again, it's at home, so that's that's definitely going to help, but. Um, I, I want to go back really quickly here to lay all stuff core and go back to a story we, we talked about earlier that you had written about the NIL deal with, with lay balls. Just, just, I guess, let our, our listeners here or viewers or whatever, uh, let them know about that piece because I, I, I've only had a chance to read a little bit of it. I didn't get a chance to actually sit down and read the entire article. Unfortunately, I'll, I'll do that after we get off here, but let our listeners know about it. Cause I, I think it's to me, NIL for the women's game, there's been a, a, pretty decent focus on it, but it's been almost from what I've seen nationally, like exclusively about UConn players, just because UConn's, you know, they're the, the prime team right now in women's basketball and the Lavals haven't gotten, you know, the national attention for NIL stuff because they haven't got the big national NIL deals. But I think it's important to talk about the NIL in regards to women's athletics. Cause I think it can be a huge game changer for women's athletics, because I, I think that to me, Lave Alls are marketable, man. Like especially if they start, they keep consistently doing what they're doing now and staying in the top ten and top five. You're gonna see this Lave All brand and just how marketable it is across the country. Going going back to what we talked about earlier with with your piece, like the shipping that you have all across the country, even all across the world for Lave All fans. Like this this brand, that that Lady Vol uh, script and the Power T is an extremely marketable uh, program, a, a marketable brand. Yeah, Samari Kia and Jordan Horston have an NIL deal with Orange Mountain Designs, which was opened by Terry Holder in 2008 um, when Pat Summit saw her t-shirt designs for, it was um, Holly Warlick and Nikki Fargus's cruising for a cause motorcycle rides for breast cancer. And she was like, well, can you do this for Lady Balls and promote, you know, the Lady Balls logo? Because, you know, that was really important to Pat, um, to promote her team and then her and the women of Tennessee. So she did it, um, been thriving ever since, selling exclusively Lady Ball gear, which is very impressive um, with everything that's gone on the last 10 years at Stay Open that long. Um, really sweet lady. She's always around the program. She'll go to practices. She is very much like an extension of the program itself. Um, so she's, she's awesome. Um, but it was awesome to see that, you know, Tamari and Jordan are getting this opportunity 
and you know they have awesome t-shirts <laughs> I think they're pretty cool it's nice that they kind of like fit with their personalities and you know they get a say in it and stuff um, and obviously proceeds from the t-shirts but it's definitely about a lot more than that for them just because like it's not like they're trying to get rich off of this. It's like, it's an opportunity to talk about, um, you know, building relationships. It's an opportunity to possibly coach their own camps, which, you know, Jordan Horson was really excited about, um, which is, you know, something I never thought about. Um, but, you know, with NIL, there's so many possibilities to use your name and your likeness to build a brand, to, you know, make some money. Um, but the other thing that we talked about was kind of the disparity in these like blockbuster big NIL deals. Um, most of them in women's basketball have been with white players, mm. which was pretty predictable if you're paying attention. Um, and I actually got to talk to a Tennessee professor named Guy Harrison. Great guy. Um, he's researches gender and race in sports media, gave some really good insight onto, you know, just the history of black women in sports and how they were, have not been marketed. And it's a cycle of um, media coverage. It's a cycle of, well, you're catering to a niche audience. It's a cycle that just doesn't stop. Um, and so for me, it was really important to talk to the players about that. How do you feel about this? You know, you know, as a black athlete and you have this brand now, you have this deal, like what do you want to use it for? Um, so that was really awesome to be able to give them a platform to talk about that and to shed some light on kind of what I've seen. And, and I did a bunch of research trying to find deals for like Ryan Howard, for Melissa Smith, for these draft picks. And they're just not these big deals. And if they are, they've somehow flown under the radio, radar of like all media coverage, which is also another part of the cycle. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, there's just a lot to it. And so like, if you have time, it would really mean a lot to me. And I'm sure the players, if you go read that, um, it's on knoxnews.com. And should be on the women's basketball landing page still. Yeah, and in fact, if you go to, um, I was looking at on, on Cora's uh, Twitter account. Her, her she is at uh, Cora Hall with three L's. It's her pinned tweet on there as well. So it's it's that's a really good point. You know, it's not just about marketing the women athletes, but marketing the black women athletes and the, the just the, the people of color and and sports in general for the women's side of it. Because like you said, that's that's a very good point about the way the cycle has been with the the catering to specific markets and whatnot and how that's got to change. Cause it, it's not a big, it's not a big problem in, in football necessarily, but I, th- I think you make a really good point. Cause I, I think, you know, looking at the lady of all specifically with Tennessee, like your biggest known player, you know, obviously Pat's not the biggest known name, but aside from Pat, it's Candace Parker. I think it's awesome that you have a, a player, you know, a person of color who, is your biggest name and is continuous, you know, continuing to be, I mean, probably the biggest name right now in the WNBA, honestly, because obviously winning the title this year, but just what she does outside of the sport too, with being on TNT, with doing a lot of stuff that she's done outside of, of basketball in general. Like she's just this big name that, I mean, people know her regardless of if you even watch women's basketball, you know who Candace Parker is. Uh, so, I mean, she's just, she transcends basketball. So I think that's, that's, it's really cool for that. And I think it's just awesome that, Tennessee in general just ha- has had like two or three of the biggest athletes you can think of in the past two decades of sports because you've had Candace Parker with lay balls, you've had Peyton Manning with football. It's just I don't know. It's cool. It's cool to me to see that that you know you had that brand recognition for Tennessee, uh, even though it's been 
it's been a few, little bit since both those players play at Tennessee, but it's still <laughs> it's still cool nonetheless. But Corey, you you've been fantastic to have on here once again. I, I really appreciate every time you've come on to to do a Lady Ball podcast. I, I always appreciate your insights and into the team and just your your thoughts in general about college basketball. You know, I already mentioned your Twitter, but obviously, clearly, you, you can plug it again and plug any other piece you have out. Uh, the NIL one, I also saw you had written one. I, I didn't actually notice this in, until just now. You actually had written one using that quote from uh, Pat Summit about the offense selling tickets, but the defense winning championships. Uh, so, you know, plug that one. Plug anything else you have on Knox News and anything else on uh, your social you want to. Yeah, I got a couple of stories from Sunday, and one of them was kind of like just an instant, you know, recap of the game, and then the second. You know, I kind of focused in on that phrase of offense sells tickets, defense wins games, and rebounding wins championships because I feel like I've heard it a lot lately, um, and it's it's everywhere. Um, <laughs> but I really feel like Kelly's team has embraced that, and the offense was the last piece they were trying to figure out. So I really felt like through the first four ICC games, they put that together. So now they're hitting all three of those, and it's a great – you know, I, I think I mentioned that quote specifically in the press conference when Jordan Horston was on and she was like, that's what we're trying to do. And I was like, so it's obviously talked about. It's a big piece of that program. So that's uh, kind of what I did Sunday. Also, we mentioned Jordan Walker kind of flies under the radar sometimes, but she had a thousand points against Texas A&M. I did a little feature mm-hmm. on her and, you know, the impact she has on the team. Um, so, you know, lots of exciting stuff happening with this team. And I appreciate everyone who has been reading and following along. It's been such a fun season so far, and I just couldn't be happier to be here. Well, it's nice to have you again on the podcast. It's nice to have you in coverage for the Lay Vols. And I know a lot of Lay Vol fans out there appreciate it because it's been, I think it's, I don't, I don't know, last time there was just a dedicated Lady Vol coverage uh, for, for Knox News. So it's really nice. I know for me personally to see that we've, we've gotten a couple of comments on our YouTube channel already. That's just YouTube, but we've only had YouTube for like a, a month now, but also definitely on social media, but a couple on YouTube recently saying that, you know, Hey, I live in, I live over here. I'm just happy to get any lady of all coverage I can and appreciate you guys doing it. So Corey, you're appreciated. I know Maria's definitely appreciated at two or seven. I've had Kelly and Stitz of WATE on here as well. That lady of all coverage. I know is just appreciated. I'm, I'm very happy to, you know, do that here and bring it here to Vol basketball fever. Well, you do both men's and women's, but you know, clearly I, I think Lady Vols deserve more coverage than they get nationally. So I'm, I'm here to, I'm not national. I'm just here in Knoxville, but I like to <laughs> do what I can uh, and, and help talk about them. But again, thank you so much, Cora. Thank you to all of you who are listening or watching along wherever you are. Subscribe to your YouTube channel, like this video. If you're watching it, if you're listening to just the audio, please, thank you so much again for that too. Subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. We're Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, you name it, we're there. Uh, thank you all so much. Share this with a friend, share it with your family, share it with a, a Lady Ball fan, a Tennessee fan, or someone who just likes college basketball and women's basketball. I'm sure they will also enjoy it. So signing off for Cora, I'm Nathaniel, and this has been another episode of the Lady Vol Basketball Fever Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast. Subscribe to the show so you'll never miss another episode.